You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello, and welcome to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Josh Rosenfield, an editor with McKinsey Publishing. Today, we'll be talking about design, specifically how companies can use good design practices to create more value, whether by driving growth, providing better customer experiences, or increasing the productivity of the energy and resources they use. Here to tell us more about designing for value and sustainability are two members of McKinsey's design practice. Sara Anderson is a senior designer, and David Crawford is a director of industrial design. Hi. Hello, hello. David here. I'm also delighted to be joined by Tomas Noclair, a senior partner with the sustainability and resource productivity practice at McKinsey. Hello. Design is one of the buzziest terms in business, but it's also a term that gets used across a wide range of disciplines. So it can mean different things to different people. David, how do you define design? Design is a process, and the idea is to develop uh, purposeful and innovative solutions that embody functional and aesthetic demands and based on needs and uh, the intended user. It's applied on digital and physical services and processes as well as environments. We focus a lot on genuine user insight to create new business opportunities with the aim to build strong brands and sustainable solutions. So um, we do put people in the center and it's natural for us to balance uh, user experiences uh, as well as product life cycles. How does that differ from the way that companies ordinarily think about or practice design? The first component here that we'd like to emphasize is the thorough people understanding. What we advocate is a consumer understanding that goes beyond knowing what people are doing right now. In order to understand how to innovate for future user needs, it's so valuable to know why people are doing what they do, how they feel about it, and what they dream of doing in the future. And the best way to do this is to really spend time with people. You also need to get to know the needs of other stakeholders that influence your process and solutions. This might be, for example, suppliers or manufacturers or retailers. Some people think that the users don't really know what they actually need. And a part of the design process is to find that sort of tacit knowledge of what actually people want and desire. We have a second component as well that's an iterative process with many loops of concepting and testing. A typical way to start out would be with just pen and paper, sketching concepts or scenarios. This could rapidly be followed by first prototypes, simple physical models or paper mock-ups that present a digital concept. You could uh, even act out concepts uh, if it's uh, a service you're designing to get a feel for it. But the point is to get it done quickly and to get the experience and the feedback from users, then refine and test again. The people-driven approach is key, together with the system thinking. So we're creating value from different perspectives in this way. We create value for the users and for all other people involved in the process. We create value for the business that is providing the solution. And the transformation that many businesses are starting to really commit to these days is to add value also from a sustainability perspective. So the exciting thing is the synergies that you can find here. You've talked about a design process that's highly customer-oriented. How does that approach ultimately help companies improve their margins and their market share? Traditional product companies use design to create a good-looking or palatable product that customers want to have. I think they are just in the discovery process of understanding how the experience of using the products and using them end-to-end 
will drive adoption and growth. And I think Tesla is a good example of a product that is not designed purely as a nice looking car, but actually as an experience of how you use it. In the extension of that, our clients need to not only think about their traditional product, but the whole chain of how mobility, as an example, is being consumed. So how does that approach to design create more value than an approach that's more conventional? We've done this analysis for different industries where we've said, what is the waste in a total system end-to-end? -end? You probably have heard the example where a commercial vehicle is used 30% of the time. It is actually running only 40% of the time, or 40% of the vehicle is filled with goods. And at the rush hour, it's actually only occupying 10% of the pavement in the city. If we could have a seamless end-to-end -end experience and movement of goods, we could probably take those wastes down by a factor of 3 to 5 to 10. That is basically what the sustainable system of the future looks like. Moving water is a huge cost when it comes to energy. I was working with one of the market leaders in pumping water, and together with a technical team, we reduced the energy by 50%. The thing was that the pumps are put into wastewater holes and it's very dirty. And uh, what happens is that the dirt gets stuck onto the pumps. So it's actually insulate the pumps so they get overheated. We uh, added an internal pump that cleaned the water around the, the engine. So we actually cooled the engine rather than creating a system that was heating up the engine. By adding a second layer around the actual engine, we could cool it down with the water that we were pumping, and that made a huge difference. Typically what we found, if you have the right design at the right price point, that is actually in a demonstrable way driving sustainability and customer experience, that is a key driver of growth for your offering. So could you take us through an example or two of a design process that was successful in adding value for customers, for the company, and for a wider set of stakeholders? I'd like to run you through a project that we did for Arlanda, Stockholm's International Airport. We developed a new departure sequencing tool that helps air traffic controllers to better plan and to manage all departures in the airport. When we started this project, the current way of working was very old and very analog. Uh, air traffic controllers were moving and stacking paper labels that represented flights. The goal was to create a system that could improve the air traffic controller's precision when it came to predicting takeoff time, so that traffic could be tighter and safer. We started at gaining a thorough understanding for the air traffic controller's task, what their major challenges were, and what they would like to improve about their situation. And then we started developing a new flight labeling system, quickly prototyping and also working in a very collaborative way uh, with the air traffic controllers in several workshops, in tests of the wireframes in order to create a common understanding and to share ideas. We ended up entirely reinventing the mental model for how to perceive runways and upcoming flights. The way users interact with this content is easy and intuitive. So the value for these users is very clear. The new DST greatly facilitates their task and they love working with it. The new system focuses on getting the aircrafts from their terminals according to the timetable and up in the air without getting stuck in a queue. The time between leaving the terminal and being up in the air is greatly reduced and fuel consumption is reduced as well. 
And a reduction of just one minute in queue per departure results in a reduced fuel consumption of at least 1.5 million tons of fuel per year. And this in turn gives a reduction of carbon dioxide emissions of about 3.5 million tons per year, which makes a big difference for both local environment and climate. And we will most certainly see this uh, development in other sectors. The same discussion is happening in the marine sector where many players are thinking about how can you seamlessly integrate the ship from sea all the way to port and to get the material out of the port without all the lead time losses and costs uh, associated with waiting and holding, etc. Those sound like instances where you help the business come up with new ways of meeting customer needs. Are you seeing any other examples of that? We have been doing a project where we set up a, a living lab. So the background is urbanization. People will have to uh, live in much smaller spaces. Cities will be more densely populated. But with these smaller spaces comes a lot of challenges. So we set up this living lab and had people living it, testing future solutions that might uh, facilitate small space living and finding out how people felt about them. One solution uh, that we implemented in the living lab was a moving wall that could very flexibly create a social area. They help families to create boundaries between private spaces and, and social ones. That's a good example of how you used customer feedback to design better products. Now it's also getting easier to collect feedback from products directly with onboard sensors and connectivity. How do you see the Internet of Things changing product design and performance? I really believe that the ability of connected products to provide a wide range of feedback, this will surely be vital in the shift towards designing more effective uh, products and processes, circular ones. When the whole idea of a circular economy emerged in the 70s, uh, we were, of course, far from connected products. Now we have sensors already integrated in a lot of products that allow us to learn about usage patterns. It allows us to track locations and to measure performance. In the product-service scenario, sensors in consumer products could notify the service provider of needed maintenance, sparing the users from taking any action at all. And with information generated from sensors on usage pattern, users can also be advised on better ways of using their products or get information on how they might benefit from a product update. And a consumer example could be that we will have clothes that are actually IoT synced and where you can actually pay for use or where you could even have somebody pinging you and asking you, can I buy it back and sell it to somebody else? So that notion of shifting to a circular economy is really interesting. It sounds like it's going to require whole systems to be redesigned so that companies and their suppliers and their customers can easily use resources over and over. We believe strongly that many companies will need to make a shift from selling products to providing these products as services. And retaining ownership of your materials has an obvious financial value. You will reduce or even eliminate perhaps your need for raw materials. But what we also see happening with the growth of the sharing economy is a changing consumer mindset. People are increasingly looking to free themselves of product ownership. They prefer to purchase the functionality or experience of a product instead. 
Most people now use services like Spotify and Netflix that give them the content they want. In the mobility area, we also see a strong and growing trend towards car sharing and mobility on demand services. For businesses, the value is in the materials they stay in control of, but there is also a very tangible value in the relationships they build with their customers when offering products as services. There would be a continuous dialogue that you're having with the user. There's also very interesting points when it comes to the self-driving cars. Normally, many people see the car as an extension of themselves and as a status symbol. But what happens when, when you're actually not driving the car yourself? Are you considered to be a status symbol or is it just pure uh, transportation utility? It will be a huge paradigm shift for society in general because from a sustainability point of view, a self-driving car will create much less CO2 emissions. It will save a lot of lives when it comes to safety. So it sounds like more companies are adopting these design approaches that are more customer-oriented and they're developing concepts that create more value for them and for their customers. But as a practical matter, how can a company reposition design as a strategic discipline? I think there are two challenges for a typical company to drive design to customer experience at scale. The first ability is to have the design capability centrally somewhere in the organization, but also out in each of the units who's gonna deliver it because it needs to come from the customer back. Secondly, how do you scale them? And this is where many companies also are having challenges. Many times they have not standardized processes. They are not used to scaling up service processes or service experiences across the corporation. They are used to product launches of hard products, not services. If you're gonna make this transition, you really need to have a top-down push. You need to have a very clear goal set by the corporate team and the CEO to mobilize the organization as a whole. I would also encourage any company that's applying a design process to widen your brief and to keep an open mind. So if you have a too narrow brief, if you tell your development department that we need to design this new widget, then you're really narrowing your solution space down and also the chance that you end up with an innovative solution. It's about understanding the user needs and letting them lead the way. So in the end, it might be what you set out to design, a widget, but it could also turn out to be a service or any other kind of solution. But this service that you end up designing could be something that actually generates more profit for the company. Uh, plus, it's uh, providing a better experience for its customers. So people-driven design methodology really has the potential uh, to spark radical innovation. Well, radical innovation sounds like something we should all be looking forward to. This has been a fascinating conversation, and I'd really like to thank our guests for their time. David, Sara, Tomas, thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for hosting us. And to learn more about McKinsey's work with design and sustainability, please visit mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.